Thank you so much, praise team, and thank you, choir and musicians. What wonderful praise and thanksgiving to the Lord that you've led us in this morning. We're just very, very blessed by the musical talent here in our church, and thank you for leading us today as we worship our Lord. It's so uh, wonderful to be led by you each week. Well, as we began the Advent season last Sunday in the Gospel of Luke, we notice that in his presentation uh, led by the Holy Spirit who guided him, that there is a very clear pattern in the birth of Christ. The Gospel narrative begins with Augustus Caesar, the most powerful man on earth doing what emperors do, and that is issuing decrees that affect the entire world. But from then on, down to uh, the birth of Jesus, the trajectory is downward all the way until Jesus, paradoxically, is laid in a manger. And the message, then, that Luke wants us to see and that God wants us to see is very clear. Jesus' incarnation meant stepping down. It meant lowliness, meekness, humility, and condescension. Well, now following uh, birth, uh, as all of us know, there's always an announcement. There are phone calls to be made. There are people out in the waiting room that are to be told and invited into the birthing room. And so, who is going to be called? Who's going to be invited into Jesus' birthing room? Well, how about shepherds? That actually, I think, makes perfect sense. Uh, Shepherds smell nice. They take a shower every day. They are constantly rubbing their hands with hand sanitizer so that they have no germs. By the way, that's the kind of people that we want to come in and see our baby, right? But not God. God invited the smelly, the lowly, the lonely, the lacking in social status, the shepherds. God invited men who would be very comfortable with smelly animals. And we have to ask the question, why? Why? Well, this morning, as we continue to follow Luke in his gospel, we come to the announcement of our Savior. And it is an announcement to shepherds. And the reason God invites shepherds is because of very important lessons that He wants you and I to learn this very Advent season. And so I want to invite you to turn again to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to look at the invitation to the shepherds, starting in verse 8. And I invite you very much to turn in your Bibles there so that you can follow along and see for yourself. If you want to use the chair Bible in front of you, please do. It's the third gospel in the New Testament. 
Let's take a moment, shall we, and pray. Father, thank you today for this timeless message. Thank you that the shepherds invited into the birthing room of the Savior are the very example of those you are calling today. And thank you, Lord, today that if we know Jesus in the way the shepherds know them, we experience the great joy that this passage is talking about. So guide us now today as modern-day believers to the nativity scene once again, that we might think the thoughts of God after Him, and we might know the Savior in a personal way. In His blessed name, Amen. Let's start at verse 8, shall we? And notice, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, here's the first thing that the gospel record wants us to understand. It is God chooses the lowly to know Him. Now, through the years, shepherds have gotten lots of bad press. They have been classified as thieves and outcasts. But actually, that description of the shepherds does not come until about the 5th century in the Jewish Talmud. The Bible actually presents the shepherds in a very positive light. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were shepherds. David was a shepherd. And you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But what was true of shepherds is they were peasants. They were classified with the poor. They would have been regarded as very unimportant. You may recall when David, the shepherd boy, came to fight Goliath, his older brother was very contemptuous of David. And in 1 Samuel 17, he said to David, Why have you come down here? To whom did you entrust those few sheep in the desert? And that was the view. Shepherds did menial work for meager pay. Let me say that again. Shepherds did menial, contemptible work for meager pay. And, dear friends, that's why God invited them. Let me ask a few questions. Was Augustus Caesar invited into the birthing room? No. Was Herod the Great invited into the birthing room? No. Was the powerful Sanhedrin, the highest court in Israel, were they invited into the birthing room? No. You see, a humble, lowly Savior calls humble, lowly people. And the shepherds fit that. Now we have noticed already that there's a strong theme of God's sovereignty in the gospel account here of Jesus' birth. We've already seen it with Caesar Augustus and his decree that God directed and brought about. We've seen it as uh, Joseph and Mary come down to Bethlehem and God directs that fulfilling prophecies hundreds and thousands of years old. 
We have seen the sovereignty of God and that all the rooms in Bethlehem are full and therefore Jesus must be born in an animal shelter and laid in a manger. We have seen the sovereign work of God. And now we see it in the call of the shepherds. In fact, drop down to verse 14 because verse 14 continues this theme of God's sovereignty. The angels, after the announcement, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, those with whom He is pleased. It's interesting, since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that last phrase, among those whom He is pleased, is understood as a Hebrew technical phrase. It refers to God's pleasure in calling whom He wills to His Son. It could be translated among people of His pleasure, among the people God has favored. It carries the idea of God's free choice of those whom He wills to favor and save. So the shepherds then are representing to us what is taught in the rest of the Bible. Look at what uh, Jesus' half-brother James said in James 2.5. He said, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? And then notice the Apostle Paul as he shares his gospel and notice what he writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now notice the message. God bypasses the wise, the rich, the noble, and the powerful. Instead, mostly he chooses the foolish, the weak, the despised, the low, to be rich in faith. And he does this according to verse 29, so that all human boasting might be eliminated and all glory go to God. You see, the shepherds are representing to us God's sovereign plan to call whom He will amongst the lowly. I wonder this morning, have you ever asked yourself this question? How can I know that I'm in the group that God is calling? At some point, any serious believer asks that question. Well, let me ask you some questions this morning. Do you see yourself as lowly? Do you realize that you're foolish as far as spiritual things go? 
Do you agree that you are weak and despised in the sight of God? Would you say, I have nothing to boast about? Do you desperately feel the need of a meek and lowly Savior who was born in a barn? Do you say to yourself this morning, I will lower myself and come to that Savior? If that's you, then God invites you. Come. That's who God is calling. And if you will hear His call, come. And when you do come in faith, you will experience the first part of verse 14. You will experience peace with God. You see, the shepherds are teaching us that God calls the lowly to know Him. Well, as we continue in the narrative here, there's a a second thing we are taught by the shepherds. God reveals the true nature of His Son. God reveals the true nature of His Son to the lowly. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be for you a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now we need to back up here for just a moment and recognize that the men who heard this announcement that night in the open air on the hillside were probably illiterate men who were unable to read. I don't know how many people you've known in your life who could not read. Uh, I only knew one uh, in my life. It was a Native American who had been born in a teepee. And though he was an older man and a grandfather, he had never learned to read. But the likelihood is that all of these shepherds were illiterate men who could not read. Now, I want you to think about this. If there was ever a group of uneducated people, these were the ones. Yet, I want you to understand this morning the depth of what God revealed to these uneducated men in the open air that night on the countryside as they watched these meager sheep. This is the only time in the Synoptic Gospels the title of Savior is used. I want you to think about that for a moment. You could read the entire Gospel of Matthew. All of Mark all of Luke, and the only place you will read this title, Savior, is here in verse 11. But there's something more. This combination of the titles Savior, Christ, and Lord, 
do not appear together again in any New Testament verse. Now think about that with me. The shepherds were the first and the only ones to have these titles appear together in one text. And we have to ask the question, why is that? Well, later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke will share these words with Jesus that he said that explain this amazing phenomenon. Look what Jesus said. And by the way, notice he rejoiced about it. At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the who? Wise. And the who? Intelligent. And you have revealed them to who? Infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. You see, once again, this fits the theme of God's sovereign purposes, His gracious will. And the deepest truths that we know about Christ were revealed that evening to peasants. You see, what we could call what was revealed to them is Christology 101. Who is Jesus? What is His true nature? And notice the three things in verse 11 that He is revealed to be. He's a Savior. He's Christ, which means the long-awaited King from the Old Testament. And He's Lord. God in human flesh. That last title, Lord, is very unusual. Verse 11, He is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's very unusual. Later in verse 26, uh, He is called the Lord's Christ, and that's how we would expect it to be here. But here, instead, it is a separate title. It is... Christ identified as Lord. Do you know this very word for Lord in the Greek translation of the Old Testament occurs about 9,000 times? And of those 9,000 times, two-thirds, over 6,000 of those references are used to translate the divine title Yahweh. This is an unmistakable way of saying Jesus is God. There is no doubt about it. And then as we look at the title Savior, 
it's very possible these were very special shepherds. Here on the screen in front of you is a modern-day picture taken outside of the modern-day city of Bethlehem. And here is a shepherd's field. It must have been very much like this that night when the angel appeared and shared the message that about two miles from where you are watching the sheep, there's a baby laying in a manger. And he is Savior, King, and Lord. Now we know that in the temple, an unblemished sacrificial lamb was offered to God every morning and every night. It was called the evening and the morning sacrifice. To see that a supply of offerings was already always ready, the Levites had their own flocks. And those flocks were pastured near Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Now we cannot be sure. We can only surmise. But it is very possible these shepherds tended the sheep that were to be sacrificed. How interesting this is. The shepherds who may have tended the sheep that would be the sacrifices were the first ones to be told about God's Lamb. Here's what these shepherds would have understood, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so Jesus then would be a Savior who would give His life a ransom for many. He would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No wonder then, when this singular angel gave this announcement, the heavens were then filled with angels singing His praises, for no one else in all of history is like this unique person. And this morning... If you understand and embrace what the angels told to them, God is inviting you into His plan. If you are here today and you say, I need a Savior. I need a King. I need the God-man. Then God is inviting you to the manger. Now, one of the questions that we think about this morning as we look at this wonderful birth narrative. In Matthew, when the chief priests and scribes were told of Jesus' birth, they did not go. As we read in just a few moments as the shepherds went out and, and spread the message, people wondered. But they did not go. But the Bible says, as soon as the shepherds saw the angels disappear, they looked at each other and they said, let us go and see. And they went. 
And you say, what made the difference between them, the chief priests and the scribes who didn't go, the crowds who heard the message, but they didn't go? And it's the final lesson that God has for us. The third lesson here of the shepherds is that we must act in faith on God's good news. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The shepherds expressed what we understand from the Bible as saving faith. They became examples of all who truly desire Christ. And one of the most important questions any of us can ask is this question right here. What are some of the signs of genuine saving faith? As we are here this morning, how do I know that I have this kind of faith and therefore I'm a child of God? I'm in relationship with the living Savior. He has come into my heart. And the shepherds are these wonderful examples of this kind of faith. And as we look at it at the close of this message, I want to ask you, is this how you've come to the Savior? Look at it with me. Number one, we must believe the message of God's Word is true and is accurate. The Bible tells us in verse 15 that God had made known to the shepherds this message. That phrase, God has made known, tells us God is a God who reveals Himself and His revelation is found for us in the Bible. What is interesting is when they went, they found it exactly as God had revealed it. They were told in verse 12, you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And in verse 16, when they arrived, there was the baby lying in a manger. God's word to them was true. Do you know there are many reasons for us to trust the Bible? One main reason, it comes from a God who cannot lie. 
when the shepherds went and saw and realized the revelation of God was true, what he told us is what actually happened, they believed. And that's where saving faith always begins. It always begins when we come to a book that is revealed by a God who cannot lie, and we say, since God cannot lie, what He reveals is accurate and true, and I believe His Word. And saving faith begins there. But notice the second element of saving faith. We must act on our faith and actually come to the Savior. How do we know that the shepherds believed? Well, verse 16 says, they went in haste. And it also says to us that they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. That's a very interesting word, find. It means to find by searching. You know what it suggests? It took a little while for the shepherds to find the manger. They didn't have a GPS, did they? That took them right there. It took effort. They searched until they found Him, but nothing kept them from finding Jesus. And I want you to notice this. Once they found Him, They made known what had been said to them about Him. Think about that. They had been made known He is Savior, King, and Lord. And now what do they do? After finding Him, they go and make known He is Savior, King, and Lord. It became personal, didn't it? God's truth became their truth. They clearly believed with a deep trust. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who draws nigh, or she who draws nigh to God, must first believe that God exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And if you really desire the Savior, you will let nothing keep you from Him until you have found Him. I know a pastor who said this, and I believe there's a big element of truth in what he said. I don't care how you come to the Savior as long as you come. For if you come, your coming will be in the right way. And so saving faith begins with This message is true, it's accurate, I believe it. It comes from a God who would not lie. But I must act on that faith and actually come to the Savior. Notice the third lesson about saving faith. Number three. 
We must experience the signs that our faith is real. If you have really come to a genuine experience of Christ, there are signs that will show it in your life. They wanted others to know, didn't they? That's a sign, isn't it? Did you notice how, verse 17, the Lord made known to them, and now verse 19, they made known to others. You know your faith is real when you want to share Jesus with others. That's a sign. That's a sign you have personally come to know Him because you want to share Jesus with others. And then verse 19, they glorified and praised God. That's another sign, isn't it? They were honoring God. You see, whenever we honor God with our life because we have found Christ, it is a sign of the presence of saving faith. What else would cause us to say, I now want to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What else would cause us to want to do that unless we had come into a personal saving relationship with him? The desire to live for his honor and to thank and praise him is a sign that our faith is real. Let me ask you this morning, have you come to Jesus in this way? Have you? What could be clearer? Lord, I believe the message of God's Word is true and accurate. And I act on my faith and I actually come to the Savior and I come to the foot of the cross and I trust Him. And then I watch as my life is changed and I now want to share Him with others. I want to honor Him. This is the good news of great joy. The angel spoke about. And this morning, if you will come, God is inviting you into the birthing room. Let's bow together, shall we? Let's pray. Just before we sing this morning, I want to invite you to come.
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to walk down an aisle. But I want you to come. God is issuing to you the invitation. He's inviting you lowly, weak, poor, despised, to come to His Savior, King, and Lord. And to place your trust in Him as your only hope of salvation. Would you tell Him from the depths of your heart, you're coming? You believe who He is. You believe what He's done. You know it's true and real. And this day, by deep trust, you want to receive the living Savior. Ask Him to forgive your sins, to make you a child of God. To give you everlasting life. And then tell Him that because of what He's done for you, you will now live for Him. Father, I... Pray today that by the power of Your Spirit, working in hearts today, that You will draw men, women, boys and girls, young people, to the Savior. Thank You that the greatest joy we can know is the joy of a personal relationship with Him. The certainty that God is our Father, that we are in the family, that heaven is our home, that our sins have been forgiven, that our life is being made new, and that one day we'll be with Jesus for all eternity. This morning, Holy Spirit, thank You that You are present. And do Your glorious work. For Jesus' sake. Amen.